Our text is Romans 6, 12 to 14. And this is a transition point. It move, we're moving from 1 through 11, and there are little pieces that we're going to grab from 1 through 11. But this also takes us over into 15 to 23, the rest of this chapter. Beginning in verse 12. <clears throat> Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, pres excuse me, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, please be seated. <clears throat> Father, again, we pray We ask, we know that you have granted us the rich and precious jewel of your holy word. Please assist us with your spirit that the same word may be written in our hearts to our everlasting comfort, to reform us, to renew us according to your image, to build us up and edify us into the perfect dwelling place of your Christ, sanctifying and increasing in us all heavenly virtues. We ask that you would grant this, Father, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. <clears throat> do, do you know who you are? We can ask that a couple of different ways. We can ask that in a real challenging, confrontational way. Do you know who you are? You ever say that to your kids? Have you lost your mind? We can also say that with a, with the tone of amazement. Do you know who you are? Do you know? Remember that thing that happened way back that we've been talking about. That historic reality, the one that changed history, right? Changed history all the way around. At Christ's death and resurrection, a people, a corporate body, was baptized into his death. A people died with him. A people rose with him, united with him in death, united with him in resurrection. Remember, Christ got justified, vindicated. He was the righteous one, sanctified. He overcame sin. He overcame death. Christ got adopted. Resurrection, appointed king, son of God. Christ got glorified, reigning at the right hand of the Father. That people, that body that was united with him in his death, they got what he got. They get what he gets. His people get cleansing, forgiveness, righteousness, rescue, restoration, freedom, life. That's what being baptized into Christ is all about. And that baptism that took place in history 
back then unfolds in history. Christ, what he does is he takes you as one who is, remember, flesh, guilty, unclean, condemned, alienated from God, under God's wrath. He takes you, he unites you to himself, he imparts his spirit, he brings life, he gives faith. And then you exercise that faith by holding fast to him, the one to whom you've been united. God counts, he regards you according to Christ, your covenantal head. You get what is his. Your baptism, remember? We said last week that initiatory rite. God says there, these blessings, that cleansing, forgiveness, righteousness, res rescue, restoration, freedom, life. God is saying, that's yours. This is that public declaration. It's yours. One writer says this. Baptism, therefore, does not so much speak about faith, but to faith. It says, you being named for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father has sent his Spirit to, to unite you to Jesus Christ. In him you are given the rich inheritance of all the gracious resources you will ever need to be brought from sin to salvation, from death to life, from earth to heaven. In essence, what Paul is saying is look at what your baptism pictures. Listen to what your baptism says to you. And as faith takes hold of its message, remember what it tells you about who you are. Do you know... Do you know who you are? By now you should be saying yes. Do you? Do, do you know who you are? You are the people of God. You are the body, he is your head. And because of that, because of that, this is where we left off. You reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You reckon yourself, you count yourself. Something is true about you, it's true about you because it's true about Jesus. You're dead to sin. And alive to God. Now, he's talking to you. Body. Dead to sin. You're those who have come out of that kingdom of darkness. That kingdom of sin. Kingdom of death. Kingdom of Satan. Your relationship with the body of sin. Severed. You're the people of God. A corporate body. Delivered. 
You're alive to God. Just as Christ is alive to God in submission to Him, reigning, putting all enemies under His feet, you're alive to God. You're in covenant with Him, accepted by Him, a new body, a new kingdom. He's your Lord, your covenant Lord, not Satan. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? You're the people of God. He, Christ, your head, you're his body. That's who you are. This works, this will work much easier if you can imagine that you are like the people of Israel coming out of Egypt, leaving behind slavery, walking together, making your way out into the wilderness. That's actually, again, what Romans 6, 7, and 8 is really tracking with. But it's really important that you get this. When Paul says, count yourself dead to sin, alive to God, when he makes that claim that you're dead to sin, alive to God, he doesn't just make that claim about you as an individual. It doesn't work that way. You can say, you can count yourself dead to sin, alive to God, because you are a part of a people, a people that's dead to sin, alive to God. That's why. This is not an individual sport. There is no dead to sin, alive to God, apart from a people that is dead to sin, alive to God. It's important that you get that. Because you're that people, that's all of you, dead to sin. Because that is true, do you know who you are? Three things. The first one, you are a people who fight against sin and Satan. Here we go, right? Y'all been waiting to get into the dirt, and you've been waiting to wrestle. Here we go. Fighting against sin and Satan. Paul said, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its passions. You're dead to sin, alive to God. Therefore, do not let, your, let sin reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. The sin reigning. Paul's been talking about sin reigning for a long time now. We saw this over and over again in chapter 5. He personifies sin, gives it intention. It's like a power, only it's not just like a power. It's more. Certainly, sin is what you and I continue to struggle with. We are free from the guilt and the power of sin, but not the presence of sin. We are still here. Here. We'll say more about that. But we could add this. We add Satan to the mix now. At the end of chapter 5, you get this sort of paraphrastic 
phrase is what it's called, where grace stands for God and sin stands for Satan. Reigning. Ephesians 2 sort of pulls these things together. Ephesians 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The New Testament consistently speaks about Satan this way, his role in the world. The fall, the fall, did not introduce a Wild West wherein Satan was just one of the kind of the players. He's a big player. He has a major role. In John, he's the ruler of this world, and those who do not, do not belong to God bear his children, children of the devil. In the Gospels, Jesus faces the devil in combat out in the wilderness, and Jesus refutes him. In Hebrews, he has the power of death to enslave. Jesus destroys him. Later in Ephesians, he's the one who schemes, who we stand against. In Revelation, he's the dragon, waging war against the church. He's the one behind the nation that opposes her. So Satan rules. His kingdom is opposed to God's kingdom. He has a people that follow him. They probably wouldn't say they follow him, but they do. And this all started with his handiwork in the garden. Paul is talking about a kingdom that has a Lord that's actively working to maintain a following. And he desires to influence you, the people of God. Do not let sin reign. We have this other part, in your mortal body. And then in verse 13, members. What's Paul referring to here? One idea, and this is certainly part of it, He's talking about, and this is what one writer says, your existence in this world, not merely your physical body, but your existence in this world, which is still in this age, the age where Satan rules, where you are still subject to sin's influence. That is certainly part of it. But there's something else here. Something more going on. It's in the grammar. When Paul says mortal body, your mortal body, he says your, plural, but then when he says body, that's singular. And then we got all this members business. So, given this, one writer suggested that it makes a lot of sense to understand that Paul is referring to this earthly body, the Roman church, which means that he would be referring to the earthly body in Greenville. 
you. Cross point. Just hang with me. Just hang with me. He says this, other places, where we get this body member thing, okay? Romans 12, 1, we'll get there. It, I don't need, well, maybe we will, I don't know. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's, it's the reverse there. It's spiritual bodies, plural, but one sacrifice. You make up the one sacrifice together. Verse 3, for by grace, by, excuse me, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. And I love this one. And individually, members one of another. 1 Corinthians 6.15, he says this, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a prostitute? Never. It's a body, a corporate body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body excuse me, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. In Ephesians 4, you have the same thing, for we are members of one another. Ephesians 5. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Over and over again, when Paul talks body members, overarchingly, the reference is to the church, Christ, his body, us, you. So, it would make sense for us to hear him saying something like this, hey, church, don't let sin and Satan rule here. That's a start. Do you realize that? That you sitting here collectively, because you are a part of the body, because you're baptized into Christ, as you sit here, because this body is dead to sin, alive to God, that this is a team effort. That we are all responsible for guarding the body. That's where Paul begins. Cross point. Don't let sin and Satan reign here. Exert power. Now, we can get more specific. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. Here he's saying, 
do not let your members offer themselves up to, up to, up to sin and Satan in service of them, in service of their agenda. How could that happen? What would that look like? What would that look like if we didn't heed what Paul says here? If you as a people, sort of hands-free, go passive, and don't fight against sin and Satan. Okay, here's what this could look like. First of all, we already saw it in, in Romans 12. One of the things it could look like is that, you know, you think more highly of yourself than you ought. We're good at that. Remember, we're flesh, limited, dependent, weak, vulnerable. I mean, you don't think Satan, you think Satan doesn't know that? I mean, he would love to get you to go your own. Same thing in 12. Different parts of the body serving the body, and we go, no, I'm not going to do it. No thanks. I want, or I want to be everything. That's another way you can go sideways. Other ways, besides service breaking down and love breaking down there, Ephesians 4, we speak falsely to one another or deal falsely with one another. Or Galatians 5, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this is I love. Here's the way that this could go sideways. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. If we don't fight against sin and Satan here because we're dead to sin and alive to God, that's one way that this could turn out. Biting and devouring. Or how about outside of Paul? Y'all will be familiar with this one. James 4. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? When passions run amok in the members, war breaks out. One thing that Paul is doing here in these passages and in Romans 6 is what really Moses called the people to over and over again in Israel. What the prophets called the people over and over to, over and over to. Paul is calling us in this part of Romans 6, to purity. He's calling us, us, not just you, us, to be who we are. 
This is the dead to sin part. That Paul has just claimed. Dead to sin. Don't serve Satan and sin. Fight against Satan and sin. Dead to, uh, Satan and sin because you're dead to sin. Here's the alive to God part. It's the last part of 13. Paul says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Serve God. Offer yourselves up to, ser- as, to service, or excuse me, for service to Him. Offering your members, not as, not as weapons for unrighteousness, but as weapons for righteousness. What does that look like? Well, we will get into that more. But just briefly, you can imagine the way that that will look when we as a body are offering up our members for service to God. Well, it'll look the opposite of what we just read. Where we will be love, loving, as opposed to biting and devouring. I would imagine that this would look like a community that is zealous for good works. I mean, that's what Christ saved you for in 1 Peter. I imagine in, from Ephesians chapter 4, we'd be dealing honestly with one another and speaking truth to one another. I imagine that as a community that lives in submission to God, offering our members as weapons for righteousness together, we'd be a community of self-giving, of service, of mutual honoring, a community of co-laboring to cultivate all creation to magnify and glorify our Father. I imagine that is an outline of what it might look like if we were doing that. Really, the last thing, who you are, you are people that hold fast to God's promise. In 14, Paul says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. This should be really familiar to you by now because he's repeated this refrain over and over and over again, not under law but under grace. That was chapter 5. He's right back to where he introduced us to all of this stuff. If the reason sin has no dominion because you're not under law, then what does that say about the law? Well, remember he sketched it out. Adam sins, death enters, all sin because all died, cut off from God. Moses or the law enters into this ongoing history of the reign of death. It enters to increase Adam's sin. Do you remember that? It enters to magnify the results of Adam's sin. The law points to sin, and and sin points to death. 
sin reigns, it abounds, along with death under that time of the law. But then Christ enters. Grace superabounds. The law is put on the side of the history of sin and death and Satan. He's saying that we're not under that time in which the law had that job to do. If we were under the reign of sin, we would still be in that body where the law was actively doing its job. We're not there because Christ has come. We've been set free from that. That's all Paul is saying. One phrase, one sentence, he's capturing that whole thing. But that's not the most important thing here. The most important thing is that declaration. For sin will have no dominion over you. Let that sit on you. If, if you got tense when we started talking about what we are to do as a community, to fight sin and Satan, to offer ourselves up to God, if you got tense because you know the struggle that that can be, then this part should be really good news to you. It is a declaration, an indicative, a statement of what is true. Sin will have no dominion over you. In fact, this matches what Paul just said in 13, at the end of 13. Remember, he said there, and and he didn't leave you hanging. He said, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is all hanging on what Christ has accomplished. One writer said it this way, if it were not for those two statements, if it were not for as those who have been brought from death to life, if it were not for sin will have no dominion over you, then this call to forego presenting your members to sin, Satan, for unrighteousness, this call to present yourself to God, that would have all been futile. If it were not, for this declaration of what God has done. You have a precious promise that's been bought by a precious Savior. And I thought about something. This idea of believing what Paul is saying to us, I would imagine that for some of you, for, well, all of you, let's just do that, for all of you, at some time, at some point, 
in some way, all of you struggle with this. This daunting task. Fighting sin and Satan. Presenting yourselves to God. Just to, just a show of hands, really. I'm going to put both mine up because it's true. Anybody else failed in the fight against Satan and sin today yet? Anybody? Jazz hands, right? Here we go. Anybody failed in the presentation of yourself to God? Anybody? Everybody? Yeah. So you know. You know this struggle. You know, one of the things that is, is, I think, difficult about this, about entering into this, is that I know that some of you are going to struggle with stuff that we say, particularly in chapter 6 and chapter 8. You're going to struggle. You're going to struggle because you're going to say, how do I know? I mean, I fail. Time and again, I fail. This seems like a lot. I fail. What do I do? It's one of the reasons that I've really tried to belabor really laying this foundation of the work of Christ and what he's accomplished for you and that that is the basis of everything else because I know it's going to be hard. I know some of you will struggle. I mean, well, and some of you... (laughs) Some of you won't struggle because you're like, no, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm doing great. Right? Right? So I was thinking, how about this? And I really am encouraging you to do this. Really encouraging you. Because this really struck me. We were, okay. You know, this week while we were doing our family devotion, that was smugness. It was the one night we got it, right? I mean, that's a... Well, we found this little book. And so we started reading this thing. So, but, this, but something this person, this guy said in this devotional really struck me. I can't remember. I think it was on Psalm 8, I think. But what struck me was he drew attention to the way that the psalmist prayed. And he brought it, he brought it to bear on sin. And our struggle to do this stuff, right? To, to fight against sin and Satan, to present ourselves to God. But he brought it to this, and he used this great, I don't know why I've never thought of it like this. But he asked the question, have you prayed? <laughs> Which seems like, <laughs> you're struggling? Have you prayed? But he followed that with, no, 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 I mean like, psalmist pleading and then he followed that with this right 
No, 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 really, like the psalmist, like giving God reasons why he should answer you. And it was just a brief, brief discussion of the way that we do this thing that we're being called to here, the way that we wrestle with it. So what I'm going to suggest is this, is that as we enter into Romans 6, as we start to enter into this water where we're going to start talking about really doing battle with sin, how about this? How about we, as a body, how about we try pleading this week? Really. I don't mean pleading as though God's this miser that's just like, you know, you're like having to pull stuff out of his hand. I don't mean pleading like that. I mean pleading like desperation, like you know like you actually know what's at stake here. Like, like you're really bumping up against the significance and the severity of this. What this struggle means. Pleading. Like this. What we know right now is we can say, Father, you have given your son. You have, you, have, you have bound a people to him, to his death. You have raised up a people. You have said you've given me this stuff, Father. I'm one of them. I was baptized into him. You said you gave me forgiveness. You said you gave me cleansing. You said you gave me righteousness. You gave me rescue. You gave me restoration. You gave me freedom. You gave me life. You said right here, Lord, I didn't say it, Lord. I didn't make this up. You said it. That we're dead to sin and alive to God. Father, you said it. That sin, Satan, will not have dominion over us Give it to us. Please give it to us. Give it to us. You're faithful, Lord. We know that you're faithful. Give that to us. Let us see it. Let us see it. Let us taste it. We want, I, don't even, I don't even know what I'm asking for. But give it, please. Because no one else can give it but you. Would you give it to us? We're asking Father, because you told us to, please, have you done that? Have you done that? Is that the kind of wrestling that you do with your sin? See, it's different. It's not you wrestling to sort of prove to God how sorry you are for it. I mean, we need, we need God. Oh, that could be another. Oh, that could be another one. That could be another one. We ask him, oh, Lord, please let us really, I mean, really, really 
like taste the sinfulness of sin so that we just, ugh, we hate it. Blech. Okay, real quick. You have time for one more story? It's at my expense. So, I mean, that's. Okay, so I'll tell you this. All right. Well, some of you might know this, right? But I, I loved cigars. For a lot of years, I smoked cigars. And I don't mean, I don't mean like the little, um, you know, the innocents smoke cigars. I mean, I smoked them, right? Tracy would stare a hole in the side of my head when the COPD commercial would come on. She'd go, do you see that? I'm like two a day. I mean, you know how long it takes to smoke a cigar? You know, and what I told myself, well, I'm out here doing my work. You know, I'm just doing notes and stuff, smoking my cigar. I worked at a, 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 a rehab at the time. And what was funny, what got my attention, was that, that the stories these guys were t- telling in relation to meth and, and coke, I was like, oh my goodness, that's happening to me. I gotta, you know, I, I, gotta, get, I gotta leave work because I gotta get to the place that has the stuff and I gotta go before they close. So it's just ugh. a lot of years. Try to quit, get back on it. Try to quit, get back on it. Like a merry-go-round. And one, one day, or I, I can't remember what it was, but finally it was about promises. And I remember this Ezekiel promise. God said, I will put my law in your heart. I will cause you to walk in my ways. And I remember there were times where I was like, oh gosh, Lord, please. I know this has got me. Please do that for me. Dude, please do that. I mean, I just, I quit. I quit doing the whole thing where, well, I can't even talk to him because I still do this bad. I was just, please, please, please do this. This one time came around. Because, you know, you get these little windows, right? I jumped on it. Bam. Quit. You know, and then I went through the whole, oh, God, don't get me through my thing. It's my thing. Right? Don't judge me. Y'all do the same thing with your stuff. With your chocolate and your, your lattes. Don't judge me. But I'll never forget. I was driving home from work, and I realized that I passed, I passed the little turnoff to go to the smoke shop. And that was this moment where I felt, I felt this like, it was, uh, it was the first time in a long time that I had not felt enslaved 
I mean like really enslaved. It was like this sort of freedom. And I think about that. I think about that a lot. You know, I'm not, I won't, I'm not going to go back to it because I can't do it. I'll, I'll be right back to it if I do. But it won't be because Tracy's staring a hole in my head. It's because I don't want to go back to that. That's slavery. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, will you do that with this other stuff that I got in my life? I want that. I want to feel like, woo, freedom, done with that. I don't want anything to do with that. I want that. I want that. I want that disposition to not want it. So how about we start there? How about we just start pleading? Not like we're pleading to a miser. But pleading to a father that has already given it to us. Pleading to a father that's ready to respond. Father, thank you for thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, I don't know what you're doing with this church. But Father, I, I am praying that you will grant to us what you have given. Please. Please, let us, let us taste this freedom from the power of sin, from the power of Satan. Let us really smell it. And Father, give us a taste for what it means to present ourselves to you. We ask that you would do this in Christ's name. Amen.